Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Vintage Faith. It's a delight to be here, and as Myra says, we're going to church. <laughs> we are still in 1 Peter. The scripture we're looking at today is going to be 1 Peter chapter 4, 12-19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as a church family. We come this morning to worship you and exalt you, and we come to learn about your kingdom. Lord, help us to understand your kingdom, the, what seemingly feels upside down to us, that in your kingdom on this earth to be weak is where we will find strength. To be low is to be lifted up. A broken heart and a contrite heart is a heart of joy. Lord, help us to see the paradox that the soul that is a repenting soul is the soul that is victorious. To bear the cross is to wear the crown. Lord, help us to see that it's in the valley when we are low that we learn to see on the mountaintop. God, your ways are not the ways of this world. They don't make sense to mortal men. Your ways run contrary to all of our instincts. So Lord, as we look into Peter's words today about being persecuted and being blessed, all of our instincts are going to be pushing back against that. So help us to see what you want us to see. And Lord, as we talk about persecution, we pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan right now, the Christians there who are being persecuted in a sense that we really know nothing about. Protect them. Be with them. We know you are with them. Lord, we pray for the the Americans and the, the service men and women that are over there, that you get them home safely. We as a church, Lord, we do. We just ask that you put an end to this evil regime. These evil men who are stealing, killing, and destroying, who are walking in the footsteps of their father, Satan. Put an end to this, Lord, we ask you. We ask you to save your people. Lord, we thank you that we can come to you 
and we can worship you freely today. Help us to, to really just embrace that truth that what's happening here right now in many parts of the world cannot happen without a threat to the lives of the worshipers. So Lord, we just ask you that you be with us, be with us in a really special way today. We ask this in your name. Amen. So good morning, Vintage Faith. Just a, a few notes before we get going. Um, yesterday we had the men's breakfast and it was great. We had great teaching, great discussion. And I think it was eight months ago, me and Dave Pettit were kind of, Dave's had a, a heart for, for the men's breakfast and, and we were just talking about, well, how can we use this time to really just redeem it and, and gather the men? And, um, and, and I believe that the Lord had led us to what we're doing now, but I was on Twitter and saw a video that many of you have probably seen and it's a video of Afghanistan, and it's a video of kids and women behind a fence screaming for the American soldiers to take them. It's a haunting video, if you've seen it. I'm sure many of you have seen it. But it occurred to me that What's happening with the Taliban and what's happening with the terrorism is exactly what happens. It's the ultimate evil end of men abandoning their God-given call to be men and to protect women and children. That is the ultimate evil end. Instead of protecting women, they're raping them. Instead of protecting children, they're making them live in fear. It's the ultimate evil end of that. And we can be, men, we can be anywhere on that spectrum. We can be apathetic and not leading and not praying for our family and not loving in our family. And, and, and there's just so many ways that biblical manhood can go wrong. But it just occurred to me that that is it. That is the end of it. That is the ultimate evil so I just wanted to kind of leave you with that, and um, it was on my heart, and, and, and it's not part of the sermon, but uh, I just felt like I, I had to, to say it. And, um, but that's, you know, when you think about what we're doing with, with the men here at the men's breakfast, it's not just breakfast. We're talking theology. We're trying to sharpen each other um, to be the kind of men that God calls us to be. Because when men step up in the biblical way, the way that God calls us to step up, Everything around us flourishes. And when we punt on that responsibility, things begin to degrade. And when we give ourselves over to evil, they degrade even further. So I just wanted to, to leave you with that. Um, all right, well, a few announcements. We uh, have a, a Bible study, it's more of a systematic theology study starting end of September. It's gonna be Tuesday nights. Last year we did Wednesday night, it's gonna be Tuesday nights. There is a book, you can see it out in the foyer on the screen. This isn't gonna be for everyone. Um, it's gonna be kind of a higher level, like digging in, doing some reading. You can certainly come and be part of the discussions um, without reading, but I definitely am encouraging, encouraging people buy the book and read, and, and it's, it's, gonna be, um, it's, it's gonna be a bit chunky. So, and again, I realize that's not for everyone. I'm not calling the whole church to that. Um, and that's gonna be running right alongside with our next sermon series, Made in His Image. So we're gonna be talking about uh, just the beauty of what it means to be made in God's image and how that doctrine bears down on so much of what's going on today in the world around us. Um, I think you're going to like that series. After that series, we're going to get into an Advent series. So um, we're going to have four weeks, and, and it's going to be hopefully a festive environment here starting in November through, through December, um, just kind of celebrating the season. We're going to do some things with the kids and family. Um, so looking forward to that, and we're kind of laying out both of those sermon series um, right now. 
Children's ministries, we are trying to get that back up and running. We do need volunteers. So I just would ask you if you feel like you can teach. It's not a lot of teaching. I mean, it's putting together a lesson and, and just love kids and kind of pray for them. And that's, that's a, uh, it's a need of the church right now. We need uh, volunteers. We need volunteers to be able to teach and volunteers just to be in the room. So kids ministry, pray about it. Um, these are the things in, in a church where the giftings of the people, you know, need to come together and sometimes make sacrifices um, to, for the good of the whole. Okay, like Evan said, we, we are in First Peter still. We are, we are on the tail end of it. So if you're feeling, man, I'm a little, uh, I don't know how, you, how you're feeling, if you're feeling like, hey, tired, because Peter is kind of, said this last week, he's talking about a lot of the same things every week. So it's not like he, he talks about this and then he moves on to a different subject. He just keeps weaving them in and out. So as, as a pastor preacher, every week I'm kind of like, oh, okay, that's in the text again. This, I talked about this last week and two weeks before that and a, you know, a month before that, it's in the text again. Um, so just, just be ready for that. It's, you know, this is God setting our agenda. Um, so let's see what he has to say to us today. All right, 1 Peter 4, 12. Beloved, stop, we'll stop right there. <laughs> and you're wondering why we've been in, in Peter for 21 weeks. All right, but Peter only says beloved two times. This is a term of endearment. This is a, a, a really sweet word. You're saying this to people you love. This isn't something that would have been said to, to just like, hey, how you doing? You know, you just say it to someone. Beloved, there's, there's a heart, there's a love, there's a care. He only says it two times. And both times he's about to exhort them. He's about to challenge them. He's about to give them some news that maybe they don't want to hear. All right, beloved. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. All right, so this isn't a new topic in Peter. And, and again, he's saying, listen, you're, you're going to be persecuted as Christians. It's going to happen. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. What is the purpose of the fiery trial? To test us. To test us. So that's going to be a big theme in today. Just keep kind of put that... In your, in your mind, testing, judgment, trial. All right, so there's these trials as believers that come upon us. They come upon us to test us. We've, we've used this quote probably a couple months ago, but it's Mark Sayers. He, he wrote a book called The Disappearing Church, and he says this. The temptation of this discomfort between orthodox Christian faith, so that just means the faith that Christians have held for 2,000 years, and civil religion, which just means what all the people that are not Christians believe and are pushing. So there's a discomfort between the two. The temptation is to do what it takes for the pressure to go away. All the believer must do is ease up on the beliefs that grate against contemporary sensibilities. Tweak your view on sexuality to be more embracing of today's mood, or move from a particularist view of Jesus, that is, Jesus is the only way to know God, move from that view to a universalist one, which, okay, you can get to God anyway, Jesus is one of many. That's not the orthodox faith. And you are warmly embraced into the fold. For many Christians raised with the ethic of relevance, of proving to the world that Christians can be believers and carry the contemporary currency of cool, the new pressure proves to be too much. So, you guys may know, and, and if, you, if you follow Christianity and trends, from like 2,000 
2000-ish to 2012, there was this, this movement, and it was, it was labeled the missional movement, and, and we all got sucked into it in some way or another. Um, but this movement, Sayers was actually one of the, he, he's, he's about my age, and he, he played a big part in that. He, he wrote a lot of books, and um, really, ultimately, it was that, hey, let's be relevant, church. Let's be cool. We can be cool. We don't have to be the weird Christians, and to some extent, that is true. We don't have to be weird. But Sarah says this of, of the entire movement. He said, we sent the church into the bars and nightclubs to convert the world, but all that happened is the world converted the church. So that, that movement actually ended in its form that, that we may have read and seen in, in probably around 2012. It just died. There was nothing to it. In fact, many of the people in that movement slowly took the off-ramp of Christianity to what you would call progressive Christianity, which is no Christianity at all, really. That, that movement was ultimately an off-ramp to the faith. Now, that doesn't mean that we are called to mission, but not in the way that, that Sayers is talking about. So he, he's saying, hey, that this ethic of relevance, this proven to the world that, hey, we're just like you, we're, we're okay, accept us into the fold. He's saying that's going to provide or push on you and, and put pressure on you to say, okay, well, if you want to be just like us, you have to believe this, 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 and this, not just this, this, and this, because if you don't do these other two, you're not in. You have to believe all of them, and then we'll welcome you in to the fold. So Peter is saying to the Christians who are holding to the faith, hey, don't be surprised when you have trials. In fact, he says it another way in 1 Peter 1, 6-7. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested, here's our word again, tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why are we tested? Why are we tested as Christians? Testing the genuineness of our faith. This is all throughout the book of Peter. It's as if God is putting us on the seat and saying, okay, you claim to be a Christian, I am going to allow or send trials your way, not trials of, this isn't general suffering, this is suffering for being a Christian. I'm going to send these your way. And let's see how you respond. So there's a testing going on. And I would ask you this morning, have you seen this in your life. And again, a lot of this is going to feel like previous weeks, but we're here in the text. Have you had insults for decisions that you've made for, for Jesus or for believing in Jesus or for talking to someone about Jesus? Have you been tested? Have you felt the pull? We all have. I have as a pastor felt that pull to be like, oh, I don't want to talk right now. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to say that. I just want to be comfortable right now. I don't want to get into a discussion. But if you felt that pull to be part of the world, when God puts you in these situations, I think to some extent, he's, he's saying to us, do you love me more than these? And Whatever these is for you. Do you love me more than your reputation? Do you love me more than fitting in with this group of people? Do you love me more than this sin? And listen, we, we're, we're, the guy that's writing this letter is, is Peter. Peter denied Christ. Peter was given a revelation that Jews and Gentiles should eat together, and after that, he literally separated from them out of fear of the Jews. So if you're sitting in here and like, oh, I mess up, 
I've done this, I've been tested and failed, that's okay. We're, we're hearing from a man who has failed, who denied Christ and wept bitterly because he denied Christ. But this, what we're going to see today in the scripture is this is a form of testing on us. And Peter's actually going to call it judgment, but not judgment of condemnation, judgment in a different way, and we're going to look at that. Um, all right, let's keep, keep moving here. All right, so if we should expect suffering, if we should expect trials, if we should expect persecution, if we should expect to be mistreated for the name of Jesus, how should we be as people? Should we walk around kind of hunched over like, uh, Life stinks. You want to be a Christian? Come, come. You're going to suffer. People are going to really say some bad things about you. No one's going to want to hang out with you. It stinks. But come on, when we die, we'll get something. Like, is that the type of people we should be? No, of course not. Of course not. First uh, Peter 4.13, P- Peter says this. He says, but rejoice. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This has rings of, if you remember from the first chapter, 1 Peter 1.8, he says, though you don't see him, talking about Jesus, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible. If you are a believer and you've been born again and you have the spirit of the living God in your heart, you have an inexpressible joy that nobody in this world has that doesn't know him. You have a joy that is inexpressible, that fuels everything you do. And if you're sitting in here and you're like, I I don't know that joy. I would just say pray for it, ask for it. Maybe it's because you're on the fence. Maybe you haven't fully jumped in. How can we be a joyful people when we are promised trials, testing, when we're exiles, generally sojourners in this world, how can we be a joyful people? The Apostle Paul in Romans talks about this. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So this idea runs out in and throughout the scriptures that we will suffer and we will have glory. But Peter is kind of rocking this a bit and saying, well, you have joy in the midst of it. You're not just suffering. We're not grinning and bearing suffering. We actually have joy in the midst of our suffering, a life-changing joy. And that joy, God's Holy Spirit, is the very thing that makes us exiles in this world. If you know Jesus and have that joy, you are different from the world. The very thing that gives you joy and peace with God alienates you in the world. This is a line that I've kind of been saying all throughout this sermon series, but we can either be at home in the world, comfy, cozy, just at home, not rubbing anyone the wrong way, and alienated with God, or we are at home with God and having peace with God and alienated in the world. You cannot have both. And if you're in here trying to have both, you're losing on both ends. You're not at home in either place if that's what you're efforting to do. But let's talk about this this joy a bit because I think it's worth camping out on for a minute. Joy is the fuel for the Christian life. It is the fuel. It is what drives us 
It's not a grin and bear it, like I'm going to do this. It's a joy. It's a love for God. And Dane Ortland, in his book, Edwards, on, Jonathan Edwards on the Christian Life, says this. The more one sees of the beauty of God, the more one longs for it. Yet the seeing and the longing are themselves joy-generating. Indeed, such longings not only generate joy, the longings themselves are the joy. The wanting is the having. To long for God is to enjoy him. Misery is, from one perspective, simply the absence of this longing. So, if you're in here and, and we were just singing and we were worshiping the Lord and come magnify the Lord with me and exalt his name together and maybe that's doing something for you and, and, and in your heart you're welling up and like, God, I want you and I want more of you because you don't have all of God. I want more of you. And what he's saying, and it's true, is that longing is actually joy. The longing for God is not a longing like I want this steak and I'm not going to get it. The longing for God is joy in and of itself. And we know one day that will be fully consummated where we will fully have him. But can we be honest with each other? We, we live in America and we want to not go from suffering to joy or to have joy and suffering and then glory. We want to go from joy to more joy. That's built into every one of us. We live in America. Beautiful thing. Beautiful country. We have our freedoms and we have our things. But we don't want to suffer. We don't want to suffer. But I think in our suffering, and, and everyone in here, to some extent, you, you've, you, you may not have suffered for the name of Christ, but you've suffered. And if you know God... In your suffering, what that's going to do is to, in some way, take your grip off of this world and loosen it a little. And maybe turn your eyes towards heaven. When we suffer, when we suffer just garden variety suffering, when we suffer for the name of Jesus, more and more we look to the, to the world to come instead of this world, and our grip loosens. And I think that's one of the, the ways we can find joy in our suffering. There is so much freedom in Christ when you take the grip off of this world. When you take your grip off of this world, you don't need people's affirmation. You have God's affirmation. That frees you up to put yourself out there and maybe do that thing that you're scared to do, that, that you feel like you've wanted to do, but you're like, I don't know if I do it. What are people going to say? What if I mess up? What if I fail? When you take your grip off of this world, you stop thinking and being controlled by those things. When you take your grip off of this world, you don't need the perfect comfort and circumstance. You're willing to live a little outside of your comfort zone. And God has blessings in those outside of the comfort zones. And, and you know you've experienced that. You step out and you're afraid and you do it. And there's a blessing there. When you live with your hands gripped off of this world, you don't need to have all the world has to offer now. You don't need to have that perfect vacation now. You don't need to have the perfect house now. You don't need it now. You know it's coming. You know it's coming. Glory is coming. The new heavens and the new earth are coming, and they're unimaginably, unimaginably beautiful. We can't even really imagine what God has waiting for us. We will inherit the world. All right. So Peter is, is continuing in his flow of thought, 1 Peter 4, 14 to 16. <clears throat> if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. 
But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. I think about 10 years ago, there was a church, and I'm not even sure exactly where it is. You, you probably know it. You'll know it when I say it. But there was a church that uh, was doing some pretty evil things in the name of Christ. The, the name of the church was Westboro Baptist, and that might even ring something in you, like, oh, yeah, I remember them. They were in the news a lot, like eight, ten years ago. And they were picketing uh, funerals. They had some really bad uh, language up on their website. They were just, they're not a church. I wouldn't even give them the, the, uh, um, the, the grace to say that they're a church. They're a hate group, a legitimate hate group, and uh, doing it under the name of a Baptist church, and I don't know if they still exist or not. But they were horrible. And Peter is saying here, if you suffer like that, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, Westboro Baptist Church was not being persecuted. They were rightly receiving justice and judgment from people around in the country saying, you guys are crazy and hateful. That, that is not persecution, and that's what Peter is saying here. Don't suffer like that. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't suffer for being an idiot. And, and, I mean, he said, this is like the second time Peter's saying it. Like, I'm talking about suffering for the name. And a lot of times Christians will say, well, I, I did this and now everyone's against me. Well, maybe you shouldn't have done that. Maybe that wasn't the right move. Have you ever thought of that? If you're suffering and being insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Loving those who disagree with you. Speaking the truth, but doing it in love. Not compromising our convictions. We're not going to compromise, but don't put me in that category of, of hate. And that's really in the next sermon series, we're going to talk a lot about that. Like, we want to stand in the truth, but we are not going to own what is coming at us of, hey, you guys are hateful because you believe this, this, or this. No. We believe these doctrines are beautiful and life-changing. And we believe that's what the world needs. The hope of nations is Jesus Christ, the gospel, the hope of the nations, nothing else. Nothing else. And no doubt, as Peter's writing, he's got Jesus' words in the back of his head. And, and, and we've seen this in so many of these chapters Jesus in Matthew 5, 10 to 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So no doubt Peter is remembering. He was there when Jesus said these words and, and he's now feeding the sheep like Jesus told him, go and tend to my sheep. And he's telling them they persecuted Jesus. They're going to persecute you. But rejoice. Be ready. Don't be surprised. And rejoice. Rejoice in it. And no doubt, these haunting words were probably in Peter's mind as well. At the end, when Jesus, before he is ascended, after his resurrection, or after his resurrection, after his death and resurrection, Jesus is talking to Peter on the beach, and he says to Peter in John 21, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. Then he said to show by, that, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So Jesus 
has a heart-to-heart with Peter. He, he just restores him from what Peter, from Peter denying him. And he basically tells him, you're going to die. Your arms are going to be outstretched. Peter died on a, on a cross. Church history has it. He was crucified upside down. And most historians will say this, your arms will be outstretched just like on a cross. No doubt Peter has this in the back of his mind as he's writing to these Christians. My Lord told me to follow him to my death. We have all throughout church history, this persecution rises and then rises to the point of death, the ultimate end of of persecution, which again in Afghanistan, it's happening. We need to continually keep them in prayer in other parts of the world. In the second century, Bishop Polycarp, in his letter to the church in Smyrna, this is not a letter that's in the Bible, but you can find it and read it. So he was about to be martyred for his faith, and the proconsul walks up to to Bishop Polycarp, and he says, just offer incense to Caesar, and you can go. That's it. Just burn some incense to Caesar and I don't die. That's it. His reply. Eighty-six years I've served him. He never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Polycarp was willing to die for his testimony and did. And it makes me think of the images of the 21 Coptic Christians in 2015-16 in their orange jumpsuits on the beach. And they all died for for their testimony. When we look down the the halls of Christian history, we see this, we see account after account of men and women who have said, he is my king, he's my Lord. I'm not going to renounce him. I won't. And they chose death over renouncing simple words. And we can think, well, why not just say it and then not do it? You know, say I'm going to renounce Christ and then not renounce him. And and maybe, very well, maybe many Christians did that. We have to ask ourselves right now, are we willing to be laughed at? We're not talking prison or decapitation or death. Are we willing to be thought of as stupid, even hateful, even if we're not, even if we're as loving as we can be and people kind of pin us as, well, you guys are the problem with the world right now. You're holding progressive humanity up. You're holding humanity up. Are we willing to not renounce the word of God and what we believe the word of God says clear to be thought of as stupid. Maybe these are muscles we need to build as a church. Because this is happening fast, like this world around us and things changing, even though I believe it's been under the current underground for a while, it's happening very, very fast. We have Western nations right now where persecution is breaking out and informs nations like Canada and Australia. And um, As Christians, we, we have to to be thinking, am I going to follow him no matter what? What am I willing to compromise on? What am I not willing to compromise on? Some of these things are matters of conscience and and you've just got to kind of work through it on your own. It might not be something in the Bible. You've got to work through it. This is is really close to me. Like Daniel, he, he wouldn't, Daniel wouldn't eat. He wouldn't eat the food, but Daniel was willing to be 
taught by the Babylonians. He didn't draw the line there. He, he ate, but he didn't. So where's, where's the line? There's some things that are going to be clear, and, and we cannot, we can't give those up because they, they have gospel implications. They have Bible implications. Like you take this down, the rest of the Bible is going to become really shaky, and the Word of God isn't going to hold its authority. Well, it's going to hold its authority, but it's not going to in your life if you start playing with the, the words in the Bible. Are we willing to be disliked at this point? That's the question for all of us, and that's tough. I mean, I'm standing up here saying that I'm not perfect in, in this way. I mean, you guys know I, I have this, I'm a pastor, and I also have another job that I, and, and so every time I go to the dentist, I go to get a haircut, I have, when someone asks me, what do you do, I am faced with, what do I tell them? Because it's going to be really easy for me to say, I, I do this, and, and, it's, and then it's like, well, you know, and that's I'm just, that's a personal thing. Those are personal convictions. You know, get a haircut, okay, I don't really want to get into it. I just want to get my haircut. I don't want to talk, <laughs> right? But, but God has blessing in that. I, I went to the dentist, and, and that was one of the times I chose to say, okay, I, yeah, I'm a pastor, and now I have coffee with my dentist, and we talk spiritual things regularly. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it's, God, is, God is good like that. He's got surprises for us in those, those moments. All right, so let, let's, let's continue and finish it up. This is the hardest part of the passage. Peter, again, Peter has said of Paul, Paul says some really hard things, but after going through this letter, I really think Peter says some really hard things that are like, what are you talking about, Peter? Um, but I think, I think we can work through this one here. All right, 1 Peter 4, 17 18. So again, Four. It starts with four. Four is um, it's a clause in Greek that is always tying it back to what was said before it. This could be interpreted because. So four here could be because. And so it's tying it back to the previous verses. What were in the previous verses? You're going to suffer. You're going to be spoken ill of. Find joy in this. But essentially, you're going to suffer for the name of Christ. Because, for, it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Okay, so it is time, for it is time. Remember last week, what time is it? The end of all things is at hand. Remember that last week? Peter says that. He's framing it up. He's saying we, he's not saying we're in the end times like some people might be thinking. It's just when Christ came, the Messiah came, he lived, he died, he rose again. That was the mark, the biblical mark of the end of days. 2,000 years, long time. So it's time it's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And, and this has to be throwing you off because it threw me off. It's, this is like, okay, but in Christ, there's no condemnation in Christ. We, we aren't judged. There's nothing on us. He died for us. He was judged so we could be justified. But what I think Peter is talking about here is a judging in the same way as a trial or a test. Okay, so let's go back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 6-7. <clears throat> Again, let's let Peter kind of interpret Peter's own words. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Again, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So a test. Your faith is being tested with persecutions and insults. 
What is a test? It's an examination. It's an evaluation. It's a judgment. I'm going to judge. Is this faith worthy or is this faith shallow? Is this faith empty or is this faith real? And God sends these tests. And Peter is calling these tests judgment beginning at the household of God. Judgment. And this is where it gets a a little tricky. Peter has, most likely, Ezekiel and Malachi in mind. Most commentators said Ezekiel and Malachi. I'm only going to read Malachi. Let's go Malachi 3, 1 to 3. So this is Malachi talking about the end of days. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly Come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure that day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify who? The sons of Levi. These are it's the people of God. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So this is a prophecy of Jesus coming to his temple. He actually did. Jesus came, the Lord of the covenant, came into the temple when he lived. And he's saying he'll suddenly come to his temple. And behold, he is coming. So he's talking, Malachi is saying he came and he will come again. Jesus came, he came into the temple, but he will come again. And he's like a fire, a refining fire. And he's going to purify the sons of Levi, which is the people of God. That's a way to say the people of God. So this fire is a purification fire. And I think that's what Peter's talking about when he says judgment begins with the people of God. God has come in Christ already. God is coming back in Christ again. And the people of God are in on this earth. And there's a refiner's fire on us. There's no refiner's fire on a non-believer right now. They're not being refined. If you know God, you are being refined. You're being purified. Edmund Clowney of of this verse, of the Peter verse, says this. Our suffering does not destroy us, but purifies us. The fire of God's judgment that we endure is not the fire of wrath that will consume the unbelieving. It is the purging fire of his discipline. God will destroy all sin from his new creation. He has begun that work in us. The trials that we experience show us that God is already beginning his great work of renewal. We're all being disciplined. Not disciplined because we necessarily did something wrong. It's just we're being purified. We're being made conformed to the image of Christ. And and you all know, when you think upon your life and you say, I have made the most gain here in my life, I have had the, the most... Um, just enlightenment, I've changed. What's it been through? Suffering. In some way. Trials. It's not through mountaintop I won. That's not how we usually grow. In fact, it probably isn't how we ever grow. We grow through suffering and hurt and pain, and loss, and persecution. And I don't think Peter's saying that all the suffering is, that he's talking about in particular persecution. Hebrews 12, verse 6. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord's discipline, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. This, he disciplines, right? I probably don't have a lot of 
we're like, okay, yeah, the Lord disciplines fathers and, and mothers, discipline their kids, but chastises, if you look that word up, it's to punish severely, to beat, to whip. So there is an element of our Lord in our state that we are now where he is sending us purifying trials. Do you have a category for this in your relationship with God? Right? Because if we don't, when the fiery trial comes, we're going to be like, whoa, what did I do wrong? God, do you hate me? What did I do wrong? Am I out of step with you? Why is this going like this? That's That's not the gospel. That's a false gospel. And a lot of times we buy into that. We start a ministry, we do something, and we're like, this isn't going right. God must not be in it. He's not blessing it. Maybe God is sending trials. Maybe he's sending people to agitate you, to grow you. Do you have a category for this in your relationship with God? Have you ever considered that maybe some of your suffering is discipline or chastisement? I know that can get really personal, and we've all had horrible things in our lives, and and I'm not saying that God sent that, and that's God, but I am saying that God does send chastisement at times. He does. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He begged God, take it away. This is the Apostle Paul. He wrote most of our New Testament or much of our New Testament. And he's got this thorn in his flesh and he's praying to God, take this thorn away from me. And God says, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. I'm letting that thorn stay there so you can rely on me. That's Paul. Paul. All right, so Peter, he goes on. I'm sorry, I thought I was done. I have one more page. I realized that as I was it, like halfway through that, I'm like, oh, there's another page here. I should probably get going, looking at the time. I know I can go a little long at times. Um, all right, this is the end. This is truly the end. First Peter 4.19. Therefore, okay, because of all of this, keep it, everything in mind that we just talked about. Therefore, Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer for being a Christian if you don't give in to that tension. If you hold to what the Bible teaches, you're going to suffer. You're going to be miscategorized as a certain type of person. People aren't going to like you. It's going to happen. But I think comes down to a very simple question. Do you trust God? So Peter's saying right here, therefore, entrust your soul to, to your faithful creator and continue doing good. Do you trust God? Do you believe that God is who he says he is? I think all of our disobedience comes down to our functional mistrust of God. All of it. I want to have this experience. I know God says no, but I want the experience. In that moment, I believe that having whatever that thing is is better than a relationship and communion with God. I don't trust him. I'm going to gossip. It's wrong, but I'm going to do it. It's going to feel good. I'm going to give in to my laziness. It's going to feel good. Lust, pornography. Dating the person that you know you shouldn't be dating. Giving in to your anger instead of turning the other cheek. We, we know what God says about these things, and yet when we don't obey, we are saying, I don't trust you. And that's the same lie that Satan spun from the beginning of time. Did God really say, oh, he knows that when you eat that, that you're going to be like him. Don't, don't, 
do that. Why would you want that? He's holding back on you. Don't enjoy that thing, that forbidden fruit. And for children in the room, you know in the deepest recesses of your hearts and your beings that if you listen and obey mom and dad, life is actually better. There's a biblical promise for that. Children, obey your parents. And then, yes, things will go well. And that's reality. I think every kid knows that. Every kid knows that. But there are those moments, and and you know those moments, where it's like, I want that thing. I got to have that thing. And I know mom and dad are saying, no, I can't have that thing, but I want that. And I don't trust mom and dad at this point. I'm going to get that. And then what happens? It all goes crazy, and things aren't well for a while, (laughs) depending on what happened, right? You want that thing more than you trust mom and dad at that point, and there's consequence. And the same thing happens when we're adults. Do you believe God is who he says he is? What is it that you don't trust about him? What is it in that thing that you don't want to give up, that you know he speaks against it, that what is it in that thing that you think you can't have or think that you can't give up? Sorry. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. So think about this in light of persecution, in light of of disobeying God, it it, it talks to all of it. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That, That word tempted, it's tested, it's in the same vein of what we're talking about. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. The Lord, a God who is merciful and gracious He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. And he's faithful. He's a good God. Are we willing to give up just a little comfort to obey him? God is faithful. He sent his son to die for you if you know him. He sent Christ. He carried your sin. He gave his life for you. This God who gave his son for you, will he not give you all other things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are merciful and good and slow to anger. We thank you, Lord, for your discipline in our lives and we ask that we can recognize when you are disciplining us and Help us to be submissive to your discipline and not despise it. Lord, help us to be a people who's not surprised at the fiery trial of the persecution that may come for our testimony of faith. Lord, for those of us in here who don't quite understand this and maybe are still working out the gospel I pray for those people that that you work in their hearts and that you show them that there may be other cisterns and wells of water that they're dipping into for spiritual refreshment that is nothing but a just a, a, a stew of dirty water that Christ is the only He's the preeminent. He's the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And his word is the only thing that will change us. It's our only connection to you. Lord, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come down as we sing this last song and worship and exalt you. We pray for that joy to, to just bubble up in the hearts of our congregation, of, our, of this people, this body, that inexpressible joy that Peter talks about. Give us a little taste of that right now. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at VintageFaithCicero.com.